Systeria is supported by the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. If you like Systeria, why not check out The Rereaders, a fortnightly literary and cultural podcast at www.therereaders.com. Champion in being a champion is what I'm trying to say. It's okay, there's a segue music anyway. Yeah, there's a segue music. Hi, Steph. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. That's great. And um, welcome to our third episode of Systeria, everyone. We're very excited to be joined by the amazingly multifaceted, super talented Alicia Sometimes today, a Melbourne-based writer, broadcaster, director, science and art lover who writes poetry, hosts radio and podcasts, and is really an all-rounder. <laughs> There's going to be many more sporting puns. Don't you worry about that. Okay, thanks for coming in, Alicia. Oh, pleasure. Great to be here. We're very excited to have you in. Um, I thought we'd just start by chatting about you and your career. Obviously, I just listed a bunch of stuff, even though you told me to cut it down. You can't cut it down. You do so much and so many different things. How do you manage to combine all of these things and and keep running instead of like Ronnie and I were having a chat about it and how often you're made to feel like you can only kind of be an expert in one field and run with that. Like I remember my academic... um, supervisor when I was at uni was like at one point you're going to have to pick one thing and run with it and I was like oh do you know what that is it's leaving academia (laughs) (laughs) so so how do you manage to find the balance with all of the things that you do yeah you've said a few key words there like manage and I don't know if I do but I know my personality and that is that I love many things deeply and passionately and I think early on I tried to focus just on one thing and easily and quickly fell in love with writing but broadcasting just called to me and I love that and I love chatting to people like yourselves and interviewing incredible people and just knowing about them so I couldn't leave that side of myself alone I need to work with other people and work in a team and I love talking to people but then again I have a loner side and I'm really quite the loner and very introverted so I like to dig deep and get passionate and and write and research and I absolutely am passionate about science and then I've got a little bit of a sporty side so I love to go out and have a kick and I love to be in big crowds that cheer on big teams and I love doing that and so I think for my own sanity I had I realized that I had to embrace all of this yet does do things suffer yeah absolutely and so many times you know I'm talking to scientists and I have great passion for it but I think geez you know I'm a bit of a fraud here because I'm not a scientist I'm not an expert but um I don't want to stop talking about it and I'm really incredibly supportive of women in science and women in sport and I just want to champion them. And But I guess that's the difference between the role of an academic or, or somebody who does pursue that 
specific line of thought for a career as an expert, um, as opposed to like a journalist who is facilitating people knowing about this and kind of the general discussion, kind of more of a generalist. Not that you are not an expert in any of the fields, oh, but no. you know what I mean? There is no, you, you, you have a look at the bumper sticker on the back of my car, nowhere does it say expert. I'm not <laughs> an expert in anything. And so, so many times, you know, I'll be doing book reviews or, or talking to a scientist and there's just this huge gap. In, 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 oh, okay, I've forgotten this or I've forgotten that and I'm not an academic, uh, you know, uh, absolutely respect that and think that's amazing, but I'm not an expert on anything. So yeah. I'm just in love with everything and not an oh, expert. Oh, I love that line. I'm not an expert in anything, but I'm just in love with everything. Oh, tweet it. That's going to be my bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it. Beautiful. I mean, all of those things do seem to complement each other though. Like, as you say, the introvert, extrovert thing, um, the creativity, the physical aspect, like, and I think that we're often the idea of being um, jack of all trades, master of none is like a kind of has a negative connotation. Uh, but perhaps that's a really liberating way to be to not try and be the uh, best at everything because no, you know, one person in the world can be the best at their particular thing. So it's this if you get kind of swept up in trying to compete, trying to measure up, it's a, a really kind of dead end path whereas if you say okay I love all these things and I can put as much of myself as I want in as much as I feel inclined to and not be dictated to by external pressures uh, then perhaps you're actually you know getting more done and also that you end up with this skill set that's actually really broad and that that you are the only person who can do all of those things simultaneously in the ways that you can do them and that that's a really valuable I mean I think that's probably in terms of a career progression, that's a really valuable thing because then people seek you out when they want to find someone who can hit the nexus of like feminism and sport or, you know, um, broadcasting and reviewing or whatever they go, well, you've actually, you're in that, that corner of the intersections of those aspects um, and you're like a natural fit for those opportunities. Well, I simultaneously want to hire you as my publicist and my therapist. <laughs> Because you've just validated everything I'm doing. I think it's absolutely come about by accident. There is no doubt about that. But I really do have this incredible urge, and I'm sure you both relate to this and many listeners would relate to it, where I have to create. There's just no question, no doubt, no matter how many kids I might have or no matter what's going on in my life, I've got to create or I, I sort of wither and die. But I also equally have this strong urge to support other people and to really highlight the incredible things that other people are doing. And that just comes from a natural place. It's not that I'm some saint or anything. I just, like you all, you champion other people and we all read someone and think everyone's got to read this book everyone's got to see this show everyone's got to see this artist and I think that that's just a natural thing um, that a lot of people do I find it really interesting that a lot of people when you say I'm a critic for instance initially take that as a negative thing so you're going to criticize someone but I think what people really don't understand is so much of it comes from some level of fandom or appreciation or enthusiasm for all the things like oh absolutely you never want to slam something like no and and the time it takes to critique someone properly and why would you put your effort into it if you just hated film you know and Mm -hmm. and you're talking about film you you absolutely are incredibly in love with the form and the medium and you want to explore it and when someone lets you down 
it, it feels like such a big thing and mm. you want to explore it further and we all have different tastes and that's wonderful too. Yeah, actually what I'm quite interested in in your idea of like creativity and you need to create, but you're also really very much into science. You keep mentioning yeah. that. And mm-hmm. I um, listened to your soundproof episode recently. Oh, yeah. um, did you want to talk a little bit about that series with um, Radio National? Yeah, look, it's uh, it was a fun thing. I was talking to so many scientists about something else I'm doing um, and mainly focusing on uh, particle physics and quantum physics. And the more and more I was exploring that, I just thought, wow, I love the process of these scientists and the way they're thinking and the way they come to it and they come to it quite creatively. And I think that's a, it's a brilliant thing. It's not a new thing that uh, science has used creativity in some form. But obviously, the difference is besides creating a work of art, which is so objective and subjective, Science needs proven theories in the end. But I love that in that moment before something's proven, they'll put anything up and and, and not just willy-nilly. There's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of theory and history behind it. But there's some sort of creativity and some of the best uh, advanced theories have come from creative thought. So I just wanted to explore that a little bit. And I got to work with a sound artist, Nat Bates, who's just incredibly... um, really beautiful in his sound work and Dr Jen Martin who does science communication at the University of Melbourne and we just we just sort of got together and really collaborated and I love collaboration so it came out I went in thinking one thing and it came out completely different but boy I love the process you just go along with the ride it was also quite funny I thought that um part of it that I didn't anticipate because when you read something like it's you know soundscape and audio experimentation and interviews you kind of think it's going to be really serious and science like has this serious you know lab coat yeah kind of professor glasses whatnot um but they, they, the personality that came out in it and the humour that was throughout it was so amusing. And it was it's like 18 minutes long or something, but so, like, it just captured so much in that. Oh, I'm so glad you say that. And, yeah, I think I can't help but put humour in a lot of things and Jen and Nat, obviously, gorgeous sense of humour too. And, I, yeah, I just love humour. And sometimes that's frowned upon, especially in uh, literary worlds, not by everyone, but by some. It's just if you're funny, how, how good can you be? But I can't help it. I just like to see the humour and everything or I just couldn't go But also on. you're a woman, so you can't actually be funny or see humour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know if it's that. Sometimes it's just, you know, I know that there's that side of criticism, but it's also just that uh, if you are creating something of worth, how can you use humour? Yeah, but, like but you're not of taking course it seriously. Yeah, enough. that's right. We'll move on to our next segment, Broad's Crit, which is about an evergreen topic um, chosen in consultation with the guest. And I think that what we wanted to talk about with you was footy. Uh, Ronnie and I are both massive footy fans, which is something that, as we were talking before, we um, recorded. It was something that a lot of people in our lives don't necessarily know about us. So for me personally, I'm a Bulldog supporter. 2016 premiership thank god and a lot of people in my life did not know and they thought I was jumping on a bandwagon whereas if I've got a Footscray jumper um we used to drive we lived in Berwick we used to drive from Berwick to Geelong to watch them play the Cats um all through my childhood and teenage years I knew all the players through and you know would recite number name all the time read the records my brother played footy like it was a big part of our culture and then at some point in kind of late teenage, early 20s, I felt excluded 
from the game. And I think that was when I became more politically active with my feminism and my, and my thought process, um, became more aware of the systemic misogyny within the culture um, and perhaps kind of put that framework onto my love of the game. So I stepped away from it for a little while. And that's when I got involved in the arts as well. So I had kind of this friendship group being like, what, you go for footy? Like you go for footy, you follow football? Um, whereas if I went to a wedding of high school friends who were like, their dads kept coming up to me being like, I was thinking of you and crying when the dogs won. And it's like, it's just that interesting thing. And I think the Outer Sanctum podcast that you run with, how many women do you host it with? There's five others. Five others, um, which is about kind of women and football. Um, it's recently been picked up by Fairfax, so it's in collaboration with The Age now. Um, is such an interesting kind of entry point for women who are footy fans. Can you talk a little bit about that? Obviously, we want to talk about the AFLW, like this so much ground to cover but I just wanted to have an excuse to talk about Bulldogs so yeah well it's interesting you say that sort of split side of yourself where you absolutely grew up loving footy and then sort of started questioning it and I think that's great to start questioning anything like that especially when the game hasn't loved us back Mm. and this goes for a lot of sports and and obviously we're seeing a huge change but the misogyny and uh, yeah, the sexism throughout sport has been something that has excluded women and we could be the water carriers, the canteen ladies, the women who drove our kids to sport. Um, we could be on the sidelines. We made up such a huge proportion of the fan base, yet we couldn't really participate at an elite level, especially with the AFL. So... And then there was comments, you know, in 2010, Jason Ackermanis said, well, no player should come out as gay. That would be awful. I mean, Mm -hmm. so you've got it alienating not only women, but LGBT community, anyone with a disability. It started to be something that was exclusionary. But now I think we're seeing such a massive change. And I think it's, uh, you know, many years late, but so welcome. So it's such an exciting thing. And last year, we sort of started to see the change that the talk uh, Gil McLaughlin said that he would bring out the AFLW and we're all a bit excited because we thought that might happen in 2020 and it ended up happening this year 2017 and there was six of us Hawthorne supporters we're all Hawks that's how we met each other sort of three of them are sisters they've known each other forever and um, we met sort of on online and uh, just could not stop talking about footy. But the same thing, we were talking about probably the the, the, the things that you were talking about. Um, we absolutely passionately loved this game, but it didn't always love us back. So we just started chatting and then it became what it is. And it, it's just because we genuinely had a conversation about it and talked about all the issues that mattered and um, we were so surprised that so many people then said oh I feel like you I'm out in the burbs and I love footy but it's it's how about this sexist thing that was said or how about uh, that comment that was made and um, there's obviously a great deal of men in the AFL who are incredible and supportive and just seeing the AFLW fly like it is I mean every week there's been tears and and as a Hawks supporter seeing my team's not represented and I keep flitting from team to team because I fall in love with the players but I'm crying each week it just means so much and I think it was vastly underestimated by a lot of people and um, there are a lot of great sports whether it's soccer, netball, cricket that are just making such great headway with pay parity and so forth but 
Oh, for me, just because, you know, the Melbourne and the Victorian in me, the AFLW has just been so thrilling. Yeah, it's been really special. And, and I agree, like watching the first game, I was just crying kind of nonstop for no real reason. And yeah. I think it was just that excitement and that feeling of like finally and, and the just by existing, it's doing something really important. Um, and I share Steph's kind of um, journey of being a really big childhood footy fan, um, a Tiger supporter and... Uh, as I sort of entered my tweens, you know, my one night a week that I could stay up late was to watch the footy show. And that was where I got like a lot of my, what's happening this round? Like what's going to be, you know, who are the Tigers playing? What's the big stories? Uh, and it, it was that gradual realisation of like, oh, this is not for me because every week it was reinforcing that um, if women were spoken about, they were mocked, they were degraded. There was just this underlying current of misogyny and really either no representation or when there was any reference, it was with disdain and disgust. Um, And that was really hard to recognise because I didn't have a feminism at that point. I was, you know, basically just a kid um, and it was something that I really loved And, and there was no alternative media model to turn to. Like it was, that was the footy show and it was like before the game um, and, you know, there was Caroline Wilson as kind of the, the sole female um, voice. And hasn't she been treated so well? And Exactly. That's the thing, you know, and, and the shit that she copped for that, um, for being a woman with opinions who, like, just quietly, they're usually correct, um, was just so disheartening. And I think that that's why I'm so excited about the Outer Sanctum, so excited about how many different voices um, are now having entry to comment and to and to you know write articles and that the AFLW is being covered in broader media not just in the sports pages that it's being seen as the cultural event that I think it is and that you don't have to necessarily be a sports journalist or a professional to comment on it um, and I wanted to make special mention of a piece um that came out recently in Junkie by Kylie Maslin uh, about the FLW and its kind of grassroots feeling and that it really does feel like it's gone back to this community level, you know, anyone can access it, the games are mostly free and that a lot of the accessibility for various reasons, economic, um, gender, like class, has all kind of been flipped around and that this is this Sexuality thing. as well. Like you Sexuality, just, yeah. absolutely. The first um, openly gay AFL couple of, is in the AFLW and just these like beautiful stories that you can connect with the human element again and that it's not just about, well, do you know your stats? Do you know, you know, can you like talk, can you name all the players and their yeah. numbers? And sports bet, sports bet, sports bet, you know, like... Oh, the gaming world has a lot to the sorry, the gaming industry has a lot to answer for. Um, I think that what you say about pay is so important too. The I'm sorry, the getting into the ground for free is is a huge thing. It's become such a juggernaut of uh, expenses and. To make it so accessible is just a wonderful thing and it does feel like grassroots and um, and we salute the women, like you mentioned, Carolyn Wilson, whether it's Sam Lane, Angela Pippa, so many, so many women that went before that were just so attacked mm. and uh, it's great in numbers. It is a wonderful thing. And also just seeing girls run out, women run out on the field. If you can't see it, you don't want to be it. So... These little girls lining up with their pens and getting their footballs signed. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry just thinking about it. I actually um, read your piece in the Griffith Review, which was so beautiful about oh. the Waverley, <laughs> um, Waverley Park, which has a – I grew out 
I grew up in the same area out in Berwick. So that ground, like my friends sold pies there and, and I spent a lot of time in those um, stands as well. And there was just a couple of lines in there that really stood out for me um, that you 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 wrote. Um, I'd stare at your cold arthritic grass and wish I could run on you for just a sharp snap of goal. But then at some point you realise that it, it wasn't for you. And that just, that's so interesting. And now you've kind of brought out the footy girl's guide to the stars of 2017. Did you want to talk a little bit about that and how, how that's for kind of, you know, the next generation, yeah. I guess? Yeah, so a footy girl's guide came about just thinking, well, okay, these players uh, will be unknown to a lot of people. You might know a couple of the marquee players, uh, Moana Hope or... Uh, Daisy Pierce, but for for young girls. So this is for young girls and boys who are seven to twelve, really, and um, just just to get a, a little snapshot of the players. But what's really funny is a lot of adults are reading it, just saying, "Oh, I need to know about these players too." And we wish we could do it for every player. I mean, there was a hundred and seventy something players debuting for the first time. Um, so to pick a handful, we picked one from each team to focus on. It was just a little snapshot of what the game's going to be, and um, it's just been going so well. And to get it picked up the way it did is, is wonderful. But it made me think as well of how related literature and sports actually are. My brother didn't really read much. I was like the nerd of the house, but he would carry around this like 1987 old like footy almanac that he'd got secondhand and he could quote all the games and like he would just remember it and that would be the only thing he read as a kid. And these kind of these books, like the tactile kind of thing that these these kids can carry around and learn from is so so oh, important. It's so important. And I mean look at Felice Arena's uh Specky McGee, a lot of young boys, you know, reluctant readers they call them, would ha- have a, a Specky McGee and now we're hoping, okay, there'll be the female version of this and um some reluctant girl readers will go, Wow, this is me in the fo- footy book and I love it. So so, yeah. yeah, but just to see them line up, get them signed by their favourite players. Yeah, but as you said before, I think that um, the fact that boy- it's for boys and girls is, like, really important and yes. that AFLW is not um, a segregated world that's just no. for female fans. No. That You know, that, that uh, for so long little girls and boys have just had the male, like, the, the um, standard AFL to look to and to aspire to and now it just means there are pathways for anyone to play at a professional level and that... You know, little boys can still be going to the AFLW and connecting with that and oh, vice versa. And it's, it's just so exciting. Energetic, frenetic, good football. That's the other yeah. thing too. I mean, it's it's a slightly different form uh, and they're, they're finding their feet. But man, is it athletic and gorgeous. And I've told this story quite a few times, but my youngest son, when he was about three or four, had seen me put on the boots for Community Cup, had seen me outside kicking. And he said to me, can boys play footy? Oh, my God. That's gorgeous. So it's just because that. he... That's all he'd seen was me being obsessed. Yeah, exactly. And and as you said, if it's what we see around us that makes us believe what we can be and what we can aspire to. Oh, that's so great. In terms of uh, wanting to aspire to things, we were thinking that you could do a shout-out for uh, perhaps something you've been reading, watching, um, that you're interested in. 
by a, a by a woman um, that you kind of recommend for people? I just wanted to shout out to some of the sisterhood with the AFLW. Um, Changer Game is. Uh, it produces high-quality video profiling and celebrating women in sport, and it's put out by Alison Smirnoff. And she does a podcast called This AFL Life, and it's just... <laughs> That's a great time. Yeah. And so she use, uh, does it with Darcy Vessio and Asta O'Connor, and it's just a wonderful thing. So This AFL Life is great. Also, Chicks Talking Footy on Joy FM, uh, five footy-obsessed ladies talking footy, and you've got a mix of teams and a mix of people but they're just incredible um, so just wanted to shout out to them and also follow Sports Like a Girl podcast with Freya Logan and Jocelyn Siep. Um, they're, they're just so grassroots and just in love with the game. They are everywhere and what we've noticed is the Outer Sanctum we've gone from place to place to place and the same girls are there, the same people just in love with this game just like the men have been before us. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that the podcast format is lending itself to these voices to have an opportunity to be heard a lot more? Like, obviously, uh, there's more freedom of expression, there's kind of less restrictions, and there's opportunities for marginalised people to kind of share their love and their fascination. Well, podcasting makes an equal playing field in a way, doesn't it? And, I mean, it's hard sometimes to stand out, I guess, but it it just means that you're not waiting for permission to say, is this okay? And I think that you wouldn't have heard the same amount of female voices if we had left it up to the industry people to say, okay, is this going to be okay? So we're speaking and annoying a few people. (laughs) We certainly have pissed a few people off, but... We're just saying what we what we see. That's so great, though. Good on you. Keep pissing people off. Yeah. I love it. I <laughs> that's think that's a bumper sticker. Yeah, again, we've got so many bumper stickers from this episode. Uh, I think we'll go on to Arrogant Aunts next. No, listen to me. No, listen to me. No, listen to me. Frontier Sakai. I give myself... Very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. You don't need to be helped any longer. You've always had the power to go back to Kansas. Frontier Arrogant Aunt is a segment in which we answer questions with authority that we feel we don't have. It's an exploration in imposter syndrome for all of us. So this week we're going to answer a question or respond to, I think. I don't know if answer is the right word. From one of our listeners, Lou Heinrich. Um, Lou wrote, we see tampon ads of women snowboarding and riding horses because apparently tampons make you supremely active. Lou had heard a woman speak about how instead of adhering to our feminine seasons, our body's natural rhythm, we are expected to act like men and retain the same level of productivity and efficiency. So Lou was thinking about this idea in terms of work in capitalist society, where we're measured by our productivity and our output for work. So paid menstrual leave is becoming a thing, but it's always met with the argument that women look weak. So the second part of her question is, how do we honour a woman's body, seasons and rhythms in our work culture? Alicia, I thought this question was particularly kind of relevant to what we've been talking about today, particularly in terms of women's bodies in sports and sports players, because, uh, you know, Cricket Australia came out and confirmed that it gets female players to sign a contract confirming they're not pregnant. So there's lots of discussion around kind of leagues-based 
the funding around leagues being based on kind of the men's leagues and, you know, Lee Matthews came out and was saying some horrible things and there's the pay gap. I think that all relates to the physicality and uh, kind of the biology element as well of being a woman, which we should also mention that obviously periods are very interesting for people who get them to talk about, but just because you get them doesn't make you a woman. People who identify as women, some people don't bleed. So we just wanted to make that clear that we're not being exclusionary with this conversation. But did you have, what are your thoughts in terms of Lou's question? It's a great question yeah. and it's quite multifaceted and complicated too. I mean, just the, I, I understand those uh, ads where you think, okay, now that I've got a ta- I'm bleeding and I've got a tampon, I can now snowboard. But I do think... White pant confidence. Yeah, in white shorts. <laughs> in white shorts. Wow, I'm I, I'm never brave enough to wear oh, white shorts, um, and I celebrate those who do. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't. I'm just going to drop food on them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There's so many reasons why I don't wear white pants, but um, they look good on many people. Um, I just think that it, it is kind of multifaceted in the sense that. Those people who have started snowboarding and should continue, and that's great. And to have that freedom is is a wonderful thing. And I think those ads that celebrate that freedom is great. But there's also that thing that um, some of us uh, have migraines or various issues with periods and can be on the floor writhing in pain. We can't think sometimes through, uh, you know, try thinking through a migraine when you've got your period. That's a really hard thing. Um, Sometimes we are debilitated in a sense and other women just rock it and they're fine and they're awesome. And like you say, there's just different degrees of experiences and we're all completely different. So how do you cater for that? But I don't think it's a weakness that occasionally it wouldn't be probably even every month that sometimes we are completely changed by our periods and our cycles. So maybe we have to accommodate that in some form. I don't think there's a weakness there at all. But nor do I think that just because of the sports that it's men. So I don't think that we're doing men-like things by rock climbing and all those things I just think they're part of everyday life too and I know that many months have gone by and at that time of the month I seem to get more energy and I'm I'm, I'm out of my bike and I think why am I exercising more oh that's because it's that time of the month you and are then, lucky no well that's right and, and we, we say that and then other times I, I occasionally once a year I'll get a migraine and I'm vomiting and I have to shut the curtains now try have an exam on that day or try do something it's crazy so we all just it's so complicated it is and I think it comes back to any sign of or anything related to the female body is seen as inherently weak so any reminder Mm. that your body is female um it's it's so taboo publicly and you know you have to hide your tampons and down in your, the bottom of your bag and all these things are seen as a weakness that then you know is used to degrade um women's physicality and then as Steph was saying ties into lower pay in sport um lo- smaller crowds people saying well they're just not as good and there, there being this paradigm that's set which is how men do it uh assumed to be the best way and the only way mm. not acknowledging differences that are just imagine if they got physical. blood on their cricket whites <laughs> have you ever read um Gloria Steinem's if men 
could bleed. Yeah. Yeah. That is my favourite yeah. and I think we should totally link yeah. to that on our yeah, website because we it is just very amusing. Yeah, it's and so funny. still timely even though it was written quite a number of years ago. But, oh, Lou, I don't know if we can answer your question because I think we just want to say it's complicated and I'm actually pre-menstrual at the moment so I can't really talk about it because I'll cry. <laughs> Um, I think that is about all we can offer you, Lou. Feel free to email us and let us know if we covered that enough for you. I, mm, it's a hard one. But women, periods and sports, I'm sure most of them are just rocking it or adjusting as well. Because we do have, adv- often, we do have advanced knowledge that we are getting our periods, although sometimes we forget. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I don't think it makes women weak. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, but if anyone else has questions for the Arrogant Art segment, we'd love you to email them to us at cisteriapodcast at gmail.com uh, and they can be about periods or anything anything else about women and non-binary folks and pop culture, anything yep. at all. We cannot answer those questions yeah. as well. <laughs> um, Alicia, thanks so much for coming on today. Oh. It's been so great to talk footy and just everything with you. Um, we wish you all the best with the Outer Sanctum podcast and the books that you've released. Um, and, yeah, thank you just so much for coming in and for being a champion of women's sports and women who are fans of sports. I think that's very important. And science and arts in everything that you do. So thanks so much. Pleasure. You guys champion others as well. So don't be modest. Oh, thanks, Alicia. Love thank fest. you for having me. Sisteria is created by women for women but also anyone who wants to listen. For links to everything we've discussed and to get in touch, check out our website, sisteriapodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Sisteriapod. Sisteria is produced by me, Izzy Roberts-Orr, and co-presented by the Rereaders and the Melbourne Library Service, supported by Creative Victoria. Our incredible theme music is by Rainbow Chan. The song is called Last and is available on her new record, Spacings. Sisteria is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to the elders of the land this podcast reaches. We hope you tune in again soon. Thank you.